Everybody says, don't judge. But what they usually mean is, don't judge me. You see, I think that it's so common that we actually judge other people, but we just don't want to be judged ourselves. The thought crosses our mind where we're actually passing judgment on somebody else. Or maybe we just keep it to ourselves, or maybe we share it with our spouse or with our close friends. But it's actually very much human nature to pass judgment on other people, but nobody wants to be judged themselves. There's even a verse, though, that tells us, don't judge, that you be not judged. That was Jesus talking in Matthew 7. But there are other verses that talk about how we're supposed to judge with right judgment. How do we actually put all this together? Are we called to judge? Are we called to not judge? In what context do we judge? How do we, how do we judge with right judgment? What does that even mean? We're going to explore that together. Hi everybody, I'm Joseph Walter and this is Loving Theology. So like I said, Matthew 7-1 is probably one of Jesus' most often quoted phrases. It, it was, judge not that you be not judged. And Jesus is instructing us there to not judge and we can't ignore that instruction. But what does it mean? Does it mean that if we see something that's sinful, that we aren't supposed to decide or, or pass judgment on whether or not it's sinful? Does it mean that everybody decides for themselves what's right and wrong and just sort of lives according to their own standard? Are we not called to a certain standard? Are we not called to hold other people to a standard? Um, does it mean that we're simply supposed to live and let live? Does it mean that we, uh, every matter is just a matter of conscience and that everyone decides what's right for him or her? In this, in this series, what I want to do is explore that verse in the context of that verse to understand not just what Jesus is telling us not to do, but to press further and find out what is Jesus telling us to do. See, none of us wants to be judged. I know that I certainly don't. Um, but what's odd is that we so innately judge others. It comes so natural and so easy for us. And so whenever I read this instruction, Matthew 7, 1, what I see is Jesus telling us to do the exact opposite of what comes natural to us. See, what he says is don't judge, which is the very thing that comes so naturally to us. And whenever he says why, he says, so that you will not be judged, which is the thing that all of us want. None of us want to be judged. So what he's doing is he's holding out for us. Hey, I know that you don't want to be judged, but here's how you get that is that you need to stop doing the thing that you're doing. You need to stop judging others. And see, whenever we take a look at this context of this verse, which is in Matthew 7, 1, so it's in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7. Jesus has done this over and over and over again. That is basically the, the central tenet of the Sermon on the Mount, is that Jesus is telling us to do the opposite of what comes natural to us. A couple examples. Um, it's so natural for us to love our friends and to hate our enemies, to be impatient with them, to be not loving towards our enemies. But Jesus tells us to do the exact opposite, to love our enemies. Or it's so natural for us to, whenever we give, want to be recognized, want to be seen, want to be at least thanked for the fact that we gave. But in Matthew 6, 1 through 4, he tells us that whenever we give, don't, be give, don't give to be seen by others. So let's explore this context of this passage in judging, on judging out of the Sermon on the Mount to see what else Jesus said. Starting in verse 2 of Matthew 7. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And that's a strong phrase there at the end whenever he says, you hypocrite. 
But what he's trying to do in this passage is he's trying to walk us through something where we realize our own hypocrisy. It's like Romans 2, 1 says, where it says that we often pass judgment on the very same things that we practice. And I think, you know, the natural response to that is, no, like, I don't do that. Um, what, I'm, what I'm judging right now, I don't do that. But the reality is that we often do. You see, there's a verse that tells us there is no temptation that has overcome us that isn't common to all mankind. What that means is that whatever we're passing judgment on, we have been tempted with at some point. That's the Bible. Um, and what's more is that we know that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So in some way, we've probably fallen short and, and sinned in that way. Let me maybe give an example to illustrate this. Maybe, you know, you see somebody who has committed adultery and you think to yourself, wow, I would never do that. I can't believe that they did that. And you, you can easily pass judgment on it because you haven't committed adultery, right? But the, the Sermon on the Mount teaches us that if we've lusted in our hearts, then we have committed adultery in our hearts and we're liable to the same judgment. And so what that means is that all of us have committed adultery in a way and all of us can't, don't have room to judge there. So what Jesus is sort of walking us through is helping us to realize, wow, I don't have room to judge here. I'm just as broken, just as frail, just as in need of help. In point of fact, consider this. If you think about the person that you are most comfortable judging, most comfortable being open about the fact that you're passing judgment on them. If I think about that, oftentimes the people that fit in that category where I judge them most often, are the people who I would consider judgmental. People who are harsh, people who are rude, people who are just easily um, sort of passing judgment on others. Those are the people that I most often am comfortable judging. And maybe it's not just about the fact that they're judging others, but I just want to look for ways to sort of put them down. But in that way, am I not guilty of the very thing that I'm judging them for? Because the thing that I'm really getting at is that they're rude. And so then that gives me a right to judge them. But in that way, I am judging them for the exact same thing that I'm doing right at that moment whenever I'm passing judgment on them. Let me maybe say it another way. The biggest factor in whether or not we like somebody is usually whether or not we feel like they like us. And if we feel like somebody likes us, then generally we're sort of open to liking them. We're open to being friends with them. But if we feel like they're rude to us, that they don't like us, that they're harsh with us, then immediately we don't like them. In a lot of ways, whenever we're passing judgment, it's rooted on whether or not they made us feel judged. Okay, so we've seen human nature here, and it's not a pretty thing. But can we overcome this human nature? Can we overcome this tendency to judge others? I think that Jesus' instructions to us are designed to help us do just that. He tells us to take the log first out of our own eye. What he's saying there is that we take the judgment that we so quickly assign to others, and we turn it inward and judge ourselves first. See, that verse that we started with, Matthew 7, 1, says that if we, if we judge others, we will be judged. But there's a verse that Paul says that says the exact opposite, that if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. See, it's in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty eight where he says, if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But that's a lot harder than it sounds, to judge ourselves truly. And the reason is that our hearts so easily deceive us. That's Jeremiah 17, 9 that explains that. For example, whenever I apply this passage out of Matthew 7, so often I look and I say, well, yeah, sure, I'm tempted with that same sin, but I'm not the one who acted on it. They're the one who acted on it. So who's the one with the log here? It's certainly not me because theirs is the bigger sin. Or maybe we think about that verse in Romans 2, 1, 
where it says that, you know, we often pass judgment, but practice the same things. And we think to ourselves, well, I'm not practicing those same things. So that verse doesn't apply to me. And I'm supposed to be judging here. I'm allowed to judge because I'm not practicing the same things. But in response to this, I want you to consider um, what Paul said a little earlier in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 4, 4, he says, For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. What he's saying is, I'm not aware of any sin that I'm doing. I'm not aware of anything that I'm doing. But that doesn't mean I'm without sin. God alone is capable of judging me. He is the only one who can see me rightly. And you see, I think it's here in Paul's words that we actually find the key to taking the log out of our own eye. You see, we have to start by acknowledging that our hearts do deceive us and that only God can see us clearly. So rather than relying on our own judgment, we have to rely on his to be able to see clearly, to be able to take that log out of our own eye. We've actually got another series where we talk about that concept more generally. And we talk about the fact that there is rest in acknowledging our own weakness and relying on God's strength. That series we've called Resting in Our Weakness, and I'll put a link for the playlist below in case you want to check it out. And this is the key in taking that log out of our own eye, is that we're not doing so by relying on our own judgment, by relying on our judgment of ourselves, but we're seeking out his judgment because his judgment is right. So as strange as it sounds, we invite him to judge us. We tell him, we ask him, what do you think of this situation? God, how do you see what I did? How do you see my actions? How do you see my motivations? Why did I do that? We invite him to judge us and to teach us with those questions. We know that he is able to see the heart. That's 1 Samuel 16, 7. And we also know that his judgments are the only ones that are true. That's John 8, 16. So as strange as it sounds, we ask him to come and judge us, to teach us right from wrong, to show us what's wrong in our heart, to show us what's sinful in us. This is what David was explaining in Psalms 139, starting in verse 23, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. He's saying, God, show me where I'm sinful. I know that I am, and I know that I can't see it. Show me where I'm sinful, and teach me how to walk in the way of life, in the way everlasting. See, we're supposed to look to Jesus to see what his thoughts are. Just a little bit earlier in that same Psalm, David says this, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. We're supposed to treasure the thoughts of the Lord and engage him in that conversation and ask him, what does he see? Show me, teach me, search me, know me. I need to know where I'm sinful because I know that I am, but I just can't see it right now. We have another series where we talk about having that conversation with God and having conversations with God in general, and how we can actually hear him and how he talks to us and how we have that conversation with him. I'll put a link for that series that we've called Talking With God below in case that's something that you wanna check out. But you see, Jesus's instruction to us to take the log out of our own eye was simply the first step. Here it is in Matthew 7, 5. He says, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, we aren't simply supposed to stop at taking the log out of our own eye, but we're called to go one step further. We're called to take the log out of our own eye so that we can help, so that we can help take the speck out of our brother's eye. Because you see, whenever we had the log in our own eye, 
there was no way that we could see clearly. We were passing judgment for all the wrong reasons because of the way that they made us feel. But now with that log out of our, out of our eye, we can see clearly to truly serve and truly help them to take the speck out of their eye because it's hurtful to them. You see, now that we've got the log out of our own eye, we are compelled, commanded even, to help our brother to take the speck out of their eye. And I think what this instruction tells us is that we can't simply live and let live, that there is another step to the process. And maybe the confusing part of it is that whenever he says that we'll be able to see clearly then, is he not describing discernment or using discernment? And how is that discernment different from the judgment that we're not supposed to use in Matthew 7, 1? How do we reconcile all these things? And maybe more important than that, how do we actually help here? Maybe, yes, we can see clearly the speck that's in our brother's eye, but how do we actually help them take it out? Next time, we're going to explore that together as we continue this series, Don't Judge, Help. Be sure to subscribe and hit the bell because you won't want to miss it as we connect in that second piece of the puzzle. Either way, I appreciate you spending time with us today, and I hope that this was helpful to you. Thank you.